This is out of bounds. This is Out of Bounds, your home for the weird, wacky, and wild in all the sports world. It's your another Monday happy hour. I'm John Alba. That's returning to the show. Jordan Katz. Mia is on assignment as the Jacksonville Jaguars prepare for kickoff on Monday Night Football with Cincinnati. Should be an interesting one over there. First, Good to have you back, Jordan. What's going on, man? What's happening, brother? First time in 12 years, right, for the Jags on Monday Night Football? I think that that's sounds about right. I think that's a stat. It's the first time in a decade. Crazy. Awesome. The media gets to cover it. Happy to fill in. Happy to come off the bench. And uh, let's get rolling, man. Yeah. Lots to talk about. It's refreshing to go into an episode for as much as I enjoy doing the show with her, knowing that I won't have to talk about Iowa football, Ithaca, <laughs> or the Jaguars in today's particular <laughs> episode. At least I don't think I'll be talking about any three of those, uh, but who's to be sure of that? Uh, lots of fun ahead. We will be talking about the chaos in the college football playoff picture. We'll be talking about Major League Baseball, and we'll be talking about some cussing between Ime Aduka and LeBron James. Lots of fun to be had. What's been going on, man? Anything good lately? You're just trying to sweat through a pretty lousy football season, I imagine? Pretty much. Um, you know, draft season kind of getting underway soon as far as like mocks getting ready to roll. So uh, for me personally, that's always an exciting time. Anything that I share will obviously be on my Twitter, which is on the bottom at Jordan Katz 11. Um, trying to get back into the uh, into the mock swing of things this time around. Um, so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that on a personal level. Well, it will be interesting to see how all the bowl games shape up, leaving us to the draft season but we got lots to talk about before then hey if you're in the chat leave us a super chat or go to kynchat.com and leave us a super chat we'll read it on air but if you're just watching via youtube drop that super chat right there that's how you will get your comment right on there your question right on there and we will have lots of fun with that jordan we start every episode of out of bounds of course with a toast i'd love to know what beverage is your choice this week uh, we got a little John Daly here in, in the oh, mug okay. here. A little John Daly. Uh, if you know, you know. Um, I paid like 18 bucks for a John Daly at Newark Liberty International Airport recently. That must have been a hard five and a half out of ten. <laughs> I mean, it was, it got me a little buzz, but not, <laughs> not much. But why a John Daly? Um, I, I think it's just because I'm a big golfer and like Transfusion John Daly's huge golf drink. That's okay. just, I'm just, it's a, just a casual drink for me. I'm going back to the Knob Creek. Ooh, yeah. Like the ASMR. There it is. Uh, so a, a cheers to futility because that's really all we've got to bite into these days in this neck of the woods. Cheers on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, boy. Yeah. Good cheers. Good cheers to futility because that, um, yeah, that's what we got here. Um, And on the topic of futility, many people think that the college football playoff committee and their decision making was futile and not solid. Um, Just, I mean, absolute chaos has stemmed from the college football playoff selections. Obviously, uh, you know, we know that we have now we have Michigan as one, Washington as two. I don't think those were big surprises to anybody. I know there was a little bit of steam around Washington maybe getting a one. But then we have Texas three, and then we have Bama four, which means 
that the regular season champion of the SEC, Georgia, 29 straight wins, is out. And maybe more importantly, undefeated Florida State is out of the college football playoff. John, we have Florida Senator Rick Scott threatening legal retaliation. I can't believe this is a real headline against the committee for leaving out the Seminoles. And all of this comes in the final season before they move to the 12-team playoff. John, is this the worst committee selection ever? And maybe more importantly, what are the ramifications of this selection, in your opinion? Well, here's the best part about the ramifications of it. There aren't any, because the (laughs) committee is going to be expanding the playoff next year. So they could afford to do whatever the hell they wanted to do this year. It had no bearing and no consequence to have to accept. Because ultimately, none of this matters. Everything is made up, and the points truly do not matter here. Look, I don't think anyone's going to dispute Michigan and Washington being in this thing. Texas had a very compelling case, and you could argue that they are one of the three best teams in the country right now. Bama is the one that starts the rife, right? Like, institution in college football, the SEC is the SEC. It's basically a professional football league. You know that for as successful as Georgia has been, the institution is Bama. And Bama sells tickets. Bama turns TV sets on. So the intrigue was going to be there no matter what. Georgia being on the outside looking in is a curious decision, but I think there were a lot of people who looked at them and didn't view them as one of the best four teams in the country despite the record arguable take it either way you want the florida state thing is i think partially a result of the hangover for the hangover from last year with tcu getting smoked in the college football playoff in the national title game specifically and then on top of that injuries it's unfortunate jordan because there is no consequence to be had here this is a Florida State team that is only a few years removed from the debacle that was Willie Taggart. They rebuilt, they re-recruited, and they had a Jordan Travis having one hell of a year before he got hurt. It is sad. It sucks. But what the hell is going on with these lawsuits and former President Donald Trump coming out and with a erroneous statement i'm sorry i'm going on uh, on here but this this is- i don't know i don't know i don't know the outrage i don't i don't get the outrage and here's why i say that when the college football playoff committee came into fruition they came into fruition with the idea that they were going to put forth the best four teams that was the idea behind the college football playoff committee If you look at the best four teams in college football right now, not over the course of the season, just now, who can give you the best product right now? But then why play the regular season? That's the the point, and I get it. But that's the reaction from last season. And that's where Florida State loses this vote. They don't lose this vote on the regular season. They don't lose this vote on the Jordan Travis injury. They lose this vote on what could have happened if they made the final. Because TCU walked into a final against Georgia and got walloped. 
And that's the fear that the college football playoff committee had. And that's why they made the decision. At yeah, least in what, my TCU opinion. still won a game in the college football playoff. At least in my opinion, that was the fear. They did not want one of those games turning into 65 to 7. Here is my thing. And this is just, again, this is this is my personal two cents. Um, just tell everybody that they don't matter if they're not in the SEC. Right. Just, just, just get it over with. Like right. you are so clearly stating that if you do not play in the SEC, we don't care. There was no chance that they were going to leave Alabama and Nick Saban after ending a 29 game winning streak out of the college football playoff, which meant, and this was the part they got right. You could not leave Texas out because Texas walked into Alabama and beat Alabama. And I don't care that that happened in September. It that happened matters. when Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback that, of the Jets. Shut up. Shut up. That's a low <laughs> blow. Stop it. That matters. The fact that that happened matters. It does not matter that Alabama is a different team right now. It does not matter that this is arguably Nick Saban's best coaching job and hand up on that one. I did not see this coaching job from Nick Saban coming. They kept on skating by on wins. And then he walked in the SEC championship game and coached laps around Kirby Smart. Hand up on that one. Credit to him. Um, But, John, this is really simple. This came down to fear over what happened in last year's national championship. It's a joke. And it really boils down to the fact that they knew there was going to be no accountability for it. They could get away with whatever they were going to do because the playoff next year expands. And good thing that it expands, right? Like, we won't, because guess what? Florida State would have a chance next year. They would have a chance in the playoff. They would be in. They were the number five team in here. They'd have a shot. It's unfortunate that they don't get that opportunity this year. But the committee, they, they back down here. They backed down. Yeah, I don't know that this is a good thing. I, that that whole good thing that we expand here, I mean, the committee really gets what they want, which is everybody claiming for the expansion. I think we're better off with eight. I don't think we need 12. Um, I, I think you could even do six. I, do you really need more than six teams this year? And this, by the way, is the largest discrepancy we've had since the inauguration of the committee when there were a multitude of conference champions. This is the this is probably the most wide open it's been in, in, in the run of the committee, and I still don't think we need more than six teams. So I don't love the 12, but listen, the committee got what they want, John. They got me asking for it, and I, I guess you win. Good for you. I just am a big fan of making the regular season mean something. And, you know, one of the issues I've had with Major League Baseball with the expansion of the playoffs has just been that the regular season really is devalued quite a bit for a lot of these teams. And in football, where the season is so finite and you have so few games, you have to win pretty much every one to be considered one of the elite teams in the country. And your resume has to speak for itself. And Florida State's resume, you can make an argument about their strength of schedule, Say what you want about them losing their star quarterback. They still hustled until the end and won the conference undefeated. To me, that is worth something. This is not a jabroni conference. No, There are still talented teams in the ACC. It's unfortunate to me that they get left out for an Alabama team that, as has been noted in our chat, 
needed a Hail Mary to get past Auburn and wouldn't even yeah, be they, in this conversation. Yeah, they need a little miracle, a literal miracle. One final point, John, and if you are on the Florida State bandwagon, I would make this argument very simple. Um, why is Michigan in with a cheating scandal when they only have a defense, when we don't have a cheating scandal and we have an elite defense and we're not in? Well, let me let me one up that you would, on that too. Let me one up you on that too. I think that all the committee and the uh, the football fans who view this as a good thing that Florida State's out, I don't think they're weighing how good the Florida State defense is. They're looking at offense yeah. and saying, oh, offense is what people want to watch. Offense is what's going to drive people in a playoff. Well, an elite defense is just as important as an elite offense. And in well, college football, thought. the elite offense goes a lot longer in terms of the casual acceptance of the team. But if we were talking about the NFL, we'd love to see a team in the NFL with an elite defense making a Super Bowl run. I sure would. Right. In particular. You know a thing or two about a team with a pretty good defense and a pretty yeah, good Yeah, I sure offense, do. In fact, and let's talk about them. <laughs> Wouldn't be an episode of Out of Bounds with more, without more Jets quarterback chatter. The Athletic reports that after failed experiments with Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon, the New York Jets want former starter Zach Wilson back under center. The problem, according to the report, Wilson is hesitant to accept now, Robert Sala said about an hour ago that he spoke to Wilson. Wilson wants to play, but make of that what you will. So we've got a player potentially refusing to be a starting quarterback in the NFL in New York. How can this season get more bizarre, and who is in the wrong here with the New York Jets? <sighs> All right. I'm going to take the jet cap off for a second, and I'll come back on later. The season can't get more bizarre, at least I think. Um, I guess the only way it could get more bizarre is if Aaron Rodgers, for some reason, played in meaningless football games, and that's not going to happen. Um, Jesus. Um, I think at the end of the day, the people to blame, you have to start with Douglas and Sala. And, and it pains me to say that because... When both were hired, not only were both deemed the clear-cut top candidates, but Joe Douglas was Harry Roseman's number two. Harry Roseman is arguably the best exec in football. Robert Sala was Kyle Shanahan's number two. Kyle Shanahan's obviously, uh, arguably the best head coach in football. This is you, you went to the well that you should have gone to. And then you did the right thing and gave them the chance for a long rebuild. That doesn't happen in the NFL. It happens in other sports. The NFL teams are not as patient. They want more gratitude right away because fan bases are not as patient in the NFL. But Woody Johnson, for once, acted like a real owner and gave them a long rebuild. And now with the Rodgers injury, you're 4-8, and eight, the locker room's in chaos. Uh you got to start there. I think part of the blame goes to Rodgers because he brought in all of his guys, Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett's a great coordinator for Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers can sit there and tell him no in the huddle, and he can shake off a play the same way that Tom Brady worked really well with Bill O'Brien. Like, same idea. Um, it just is painful. But you're not answering the question here. The question here is regarding this particular situation, this particular report where Zach Wilson allegedly is unsure if he wants to be the starting quarterback of the New York Jets. Now think about this. 
there are very few starting quarterbacks in this world in the National Football League. Yep. It is as elite as it gets. To be able to say that you at one point started an NFL game under center is a privilege, especially in the number one media market in the world. Yeah. According to this report, Zach Wilson is saying, I'm good. Think about that. Who's at fault here? Is this the upper brass or is this Zach Wilson? I'll I'll play devil's advocate. I'll say the upper brass. And I, I think the answer for Zach is obvious. Um, you have a chance to kind of right or wrong. You have a free script. If you come in and play horribly, it's the fault of the offensive line being bad. You're not having enough weapons. Like it's been exposed. Um, also, who says that they don't want to be a starting quarterback in the NFL at any point in time? Right. So that's the answer for Zach is obvious. But by the same token, if you're at your job and you're doing what you feel is the best amount of work that you can do with the resources that you have and your boss comes and tells you, hey, it's all your fault. And they go out in public and say, hey, it's all your fault. And then you come back around three weeks later and say, oh, you know what? Maybe we're wrong. Maybe it wasn't your fault. What do you do? You now act in a position of power, I and you use that, your power. Let's not and maybe Zach's using here, his power. But let's not pretend here that the Jets didn't do everything they could to protect Zach Wilson for everything, weeks, everything months they even. They went out of their way to say, I believe he's a starting quarterback in this league, when Zach Wilson <laughs> was consistently proving he was not a starting quarterback I, in this league. I, they I, protected his yeah. ass at all costs and every single week he failed to deliver i understand your your point of view that you're saying there i get that i and to lose your job and then the coach be like ah let's see let's give it to you back what other option did the jets have they were getting nothing out of him they had to try something the worst thing that happened for the jets i told you when it happened i told a few friends when it happened the worst thing that happened for the jets was the week four sunday night football game against the Chiefs because you saw what he could be if the other team played the most basic coverages in the planet. Spagnola's defensive game plan that night was bad. It was a lot of soft coverages. It was a lot of bend but don't break. And Zach actually was able to eat it apart because he had a clean pocket. And there has never been a question of what Zach can do if he's got a pocket to throw in with time and plenty of time to think. The problem has always been about the other 90% of plays. And that was the worst thing that happened for them. It just, it just was. It was the worst thing that could have possibly happened for this team in this season. Is Zach Wilson going to play another game with the Jets? Yeah, he's going to play on Sunday. Okay. I, 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 I really think he is. We'll see, but I really think he is. Sticking with football and moving on to teams that are actually good and competent. Um, the stock of the San Francisco 49ers, John, is uh, about as high as it can be. Um, ESPN bet has them not only as the Super Bowl favorites at three to one, but the quarterback, a.k.a. Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, is now the favorite to win the MVP. So, John, let's say both of these things happen. Um, is Brock Purdy the greatest sports story Maybe ever? I don't know if I'm willing to say ever, but he is certainly up there as an all-timer. If he 
can go from Mr. Irrelevant, the last draft pick taken in the NFL draft and leading his team to a Super Bowl by winning most valuable player in a league that is just so absurdly talented, especially with people like Tyreek Hill having the seasons that they're having. Absolutely. It's a game changer, and it shows the value of the deeper parts of the draft. Tom Brady wasn't quite Mr. Irrelevant, but he wasn't all that far off from being Mr. Irrelevant. So I don't want to sit there and say this is the greatest story ever, but I do think we have to appreciate this for how special that it is. I don't think Brock Purdy is lighting up the lamps as the most amazing quarterback I've ever seen, but he's the perfect piece on a team that is really well-rounded and, as you alluded to earlier, well-coached. All those elements combined together And it creates a story that encompasses everything we do love about sports. The underdog, the team that's always punching up rather than punching down. We saw it happen this week with the Eagles. It's a great story, and I definitely think it's right up there, and it really should show some teams the value of holding on to your late draft picks. It is a great story. Um, having said that, Brock Purdy has the easiest job in North American sports. He literally stands behind the number one, one arguably the number one offensive line, if not the number two offensive line, to hand the ball to the best running back in the league and throw the ball to one of the best receiving cores in the league while having the best coach in the league. On top of that, he's not winning the MVP. If the season ended today, Right where the standings are at right now, which is the Dallas Cowboys one game behind the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm not sure it's going to end that way, by the way. Dallas and the Philly on Sunday night in what could be a game to kind of pave the way for the rest of the division. Um, The MVP of the league is Dak Prescott. So that's number one. But number two, I think the cool part about Brock Purdy is that Brock Purdy is that, again, that Mr. Relevant underdog, and that's the part you mentioned, that's the part we love. Again, you know, Kurt Warner's story got told into a movie. Not a great movie, but it got told into a movie. Um, And that's awesome, and we love that. Here's the only caveat here. Again, Brock Purdy's job at this moment in time is not particularly hard. In my opinion, I think what Brock Purdy, Purdy exposes about the National Football League right now, John, is quarterback play, and Tom Brady has spoken about this, is at an all-time low because of the rules of the league and because of well, and the injuries. Look at the all the injuries. The injuries. The injuries and I think, I, in my opinion, I actually think that exposes – the quarterback play because you've watched quarterbacks come in and be able to do things that the starters are doing. And you're going, wait a minute, is our starter really that good? I'm looking at the New York giants right now who Tommy DeVito has walked in and thrown for three touchdowns in a couple of games. I'm sure the giants are sitting around going, wait a minute, we just gave Daniel Jones the bag. And now we've got Tommy DeVito coming in off the street. Who's throwing in three touchdowns. What do we have to do right now? And the answer kind of is QB play because of the rules, because you have to take so many chances down the field. If it's 50-50, throw it up, go get it. Um, you might throw some picks. You might throw some touchdowns. You might get a, a ton of flags, right? Pass interference is, is you know, everywhere. You can't touch anybody. So I think the rules, again, something Tom Brady has talked about, kind of lend themselves to this kind of story where Brock Purdy can emerge, which is wonderful for the league, great story, and maybe that is kind of exactly what they're looking for here, John, where Brock Purdy becomes kind of this household name. I am curious to see if the 49ers can actually sustain this run here because there were a few weeks this season where the Niners looked like they were cooked. So being able to sustain that, it's something we'll have to follow. And I mean, I hate to speak in these terms, but given the track record of what we've seen this season, 
Are they going to stay healthy? Yeah. Is Brock Purdy going to be fair. their quarterback come the playoffs? It's fair. Remember what happened last year with the 49ers quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. They had to create a new rule because of the 49ers quarterbacks it's, last it's, year. It's a fair point. It's a fair point for sure. I'm for not sure. sure that anything should be a guarantee this season in the league. And uh, it is an amazing story. I hope that Brock Purdy puts himself up there among the best. I don't think he's the MVP. You think it's Dak Prescott. I'd buy that argument, but I, I think at this moment it's Tyreek Hill. And I think Tyreek Hill is th- having one of the greatest seasons that any wide receivers ever had. Yeah, I think, that's in- I think that's incredibly fair. And I think if the Dolphins get a one or two seed, he could be it because, boy, the, their schedule the rest of the way is soft. He's got a yeah. great shot. Great yeah. shot. And he's he's changed the way that the game is played down there in Miami. So uh, it opens up that offense. Two has two has come along nicely as a good quarterback, but having a Tyree kill changes your offense entirely. Sure sure and, uh, that, that definitely is fact. All right, let's talk about some game changing players. That being Juan Soto. So it seems like it's a matter of time before Padres outfielder Juan Soto is traded. But where? Is he going? The Yankees and Padres were said to be at a stalemate in talks due to San Diego wanting a reported seven to eight player package from New York that would include top young pitching arms Clark Schmidt and Michael King, all for just one year of Soto, a pending free agent next season who is unlikely to sign an extension beforehand. Are the Padres in over their heads here, or is this the price you just pay for a starter, Jordan? No, the Padres are in over their heads. Um, they are asking for the moon when they're not even going to get anywhere close to that. Um, they have to accept the reality. Reality is that Juan Soto is not be, is not playing 2025 in a San Diego Padre uniform. Reality is that this experiment to go all in, love it. It was awesome. The right idea at the time. You got the playoff appearance. You had a shot. You were in the dance. Now you face the ramifications monetarily of it. Now you face the ramifications of the failed season that you just had. Um, now you rebuild. Like that's the that that's the reality. And you have to accept what you can get for a guy who is not going to be on your team in 2025. In my opinion, the San Diego Padres are asking for the moon because they are waiting to see what happens with the New York Mets. And if the New York Mets do not land the guys that they want to land, all of a sudden, maybe the Mets come in with a ton of prospects and a ton of people. I don't people, think that's happening. And I, maybe I actually they feel go, pretty confident that's not happening. I, I agree, I agree with you, but listen, there's no reason for the Padres to give in right now. There's no reason for the Padres to no, give in right no now. No, there's no reason, but not for that. I think it's because... Truthfully, I think Otani is going to be the first domino that falls with a Juan Soto trade because people who miss out on Otani might be more inclined to try to pull the trigger on something with Juan Soto. And there will be suitors, but seven to eight players for a one-year rental. If this is a Juan Soto that has two to three years of team control, we're having a different conversation. Sure. Now, with that said, I do believe that Juan Soto is the type of guy you give up the, the farm for. Because Definitely. especially if you're the Yankees. Now, there are other teams who are said to be interested in him, namely the Toronto Blue Jays. But if you're the Yankees, Juan Soto is completely changing the dynamic of your lineup immediately. You stick him in as a number two hitter, going lefty-righty, lefty-righty with Judge behind him. Guys are going to see more pitches. Guys like John Carl Stan's going to see more pitches. It is an absurd ask, but I really do believe if you can hold out just a little bit, that price point is going to come down. But at the same time, Jordan, you got to feel that temptation to want to go all in. Or is this a case of the Yankees being the modern Yankees and being like, 
Well, we tried. We tried. Yeah, listen, good. listen. It could, it could be that. But again, I think that the, the the thing that I would be concerned about if I were the Yankees or if I were the Blue Jays is what happens if he has not been in my city and in my uniform for the full year and then walks into free agency? Because I'm going to tell you right now, in 2025, when in the 2024 offseason, if he has not had a good success on the team that he is on, be that Toronto, be that the Yankees, be that whoever it is, I'm telling you right now, the leader in the clubhouse for Juan Soto is the New York Mets. I'm telling you right now, he has spoken highly about the Mets over and over again. Oh, sure. He has spoken highly about City Field over and over again. He I, has I think spoken highly about the fans sure. over and over sure, again. I don't think they have the, the prospect But John, you have to be able to get him in the door and convince him that you're the spot when you go test the market. So that if your offer is around the Met offer, he might want to just stay where he is because he had a great experience. And from that perspective, I get the Padres asking. Eventually, it's going to come down because it's not realistic. It's not realistic for a rental. But right now, there is no reason for the Padres to give in just yet. Well, let me ask this. Is a one-year performance by a player is that a rental half a season is a rental but having a player for a full season is that a rental I still think it's a rental because I still think you're playing for the full season you know you, you still don't know what's happening after that so I still think it's a rental maybe the full season gains you a little more in terms of what you bring in but I still think it's I, I still think it's a rental I think again I think the Padres are in a good position right now but they've got to be willing to pull the trigger on a deal that they deem is a little less than. Because if they don't do it, John, that's when chaos could happen. And that's when you could be staring down a deal that you just don't want but have to accept. I mean, especially if I'm pitting division rivals against one another. That's where the Padres gain some leverage too. But but part of you, just based on track record, you have to think with these leaks happening – some of it stems from, well, we tried, we wanted him, but gosh darn, it was just. I would be concerned. I would be concerned about that. One final point on the Soto thing. Um, the San Francisco Giants are reportedly one of the teams that's big in the mix. Sure. The Washington Nationals got a great offer from the New York Mets once upon a time for Soto that involved Francisco Alvarez. And they said, we will not trade him in division. I'm not so sure that the Padres are going to do the same thing. Just something to look for. I'm not so yeah, sure the Giants I, I are as out as everybody thinks they are. The Giants will look to upgrade through free agency before they look to upgrade through trades because they have a lot of capital to use sure. financially. But I, I I could see that. And plus, the Giants are a team that could probably afford to sit back and wait with mm-hmm. Soto and wait one more season before he hits the market and try to give him a shot there. Yeah. It's – and he would – Man, well, this would he, would he rake in San Francisco? Yeah, and this what? is the thing. People were talking about Bob Melvin and people were talking about the uh, the issues there and the fact that they're in division and whatnot. I don't know that division is going to matter for the Padres because I think the Padres are in this for more of a – maybe more of a reset than a rebuild, which is why I don't think they fear Juan Soto going to the Giants for a one-year rental. And I think they're confident enough that he won't wind up staying on the Giants. So I think this situation is a little different than the Nationals and the Mets and the interaction that happened there. That's just, that's my two cents on it. Sticking with baseball, John, our guy, Jim Leland, who, I mean, 
you want to talk about setting the record for most smoked cigarettes for any manager in baseball history, he's got to be it. Our guy Jim Leland is headed to the Baseball Hall of Fame after snagging 15 votes from the Hall of Fame's Contemporary Committee and earning his election. It's a controversial vote, though, because fellow manager Lou Pinella, who was also one of the true characters of the sport for the last 30 years, missed the induction by one vote. So, John, are, are we just are we just kind of done with the Hall of Fame election process at this, at this point? Is that a fair thing to start debating? Yeah, you know, everyone's always talking about the Baseball Writers Association of America and how they shouldn't be voting for Hall of Famers. This didn't come from the this didn't come from the, the writers. This came no. from the committee, which is former players and managers and mm-hmm. other people involved in the game. And uh, you, there are 16 voters. You need to get 12 to get in. And Lou Pinella fell one short. Jim Leyland's undoubtedly a Hall of Famer. Went to three World Series over the course of his career. Won one. Again, beloved by his players. Beloved by media entertaining guy great story never even made it out of the minors as a player but succeeded upwards as a manager i just don't know how you look at jim leland who as i said is a hall of famer and then you look at lou Pinella and say one is a hall of famer and the other isn't lou Pinella has more career wins than jim leland has yep he has Fewer losses than Jim Leland has. Jim Leland was a three-time manager of the year. Lou Pinella was a three-time manager of the year. Okay. As a player, Lou Pinella was rookie of the year. He was an all-star. Okay. He was a two-time World Series champion as a player and one time as a manager. Plus, we know everything that he did with his antics and sure. the color that he brought to the game. You can't tell the story of baseball in the late 80s, 90s, early 2000s without talking about Lou Pinella at some point. Yeah. How did this guy not get elected to the Hall of Fame, but Harold Baines is? Yeah, I mean, I remember when we were talking about the Harold Baines thing and you gave the line of like, this is just, this is like the death of voting guys in. Um, this is kind of just the icing on the cake for that, I guess, with with Lou Pinella here. Um, it's sad because I think major league baseball and the hall of fame process was kind of the one that still got marbled about, um, and still got revered about. And I think Harold Baines, and I think this decision here, cause Lou Pinella's a hall of famer. Well, and, and the you, committee stuff was supposed to fix things like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to make up for the times that the writers got it wrong. Like the Fred McGriffs. And guess what? Last year they did make right on that. They made right on it with Fred McGriff. But then you get a situation like this where it's a layup that you have a guy like Lou Pinella in there. Joe Torrey's in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Bobby Cox is in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Lou Pinella fits in that same category of guys. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think your line about telling the story of baseball, I, I think uh, you know, you use that a lot. I think that's a great line when it comes to the Hall of Fame and the process behind it. And I think you're right. I don't know if you could tell the story of that late 80s, early 90s era without your Lou Pinella, and that that should qualify, especially, again, you mentioned more wins, fewer losses than a manager, right? I mean, I, I one of my pet peeves personally is when we value championships above everything else. Well, both and, of them won a championship as manager. Yeah, and and like I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like you know, in the case you know with Jim Leland, um, 
like I don't know, maybe championship, maybe the championship matters more. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I, I just, it's just for me personally, like that's one of my pet peeves, and it feels like you know Leland with the success that he had, um, and Pinella the success he had. I think they're equivalent. Um, I mean, you could argue without the managing job that Lou Pinella did in Seattle that the Mariners don't even exist. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. That's why I think he's one of the more influential people from that era. And plus the character, right? Baseball always has such a problem with leaning into the bit with all these great characters. Lou Pinella, his antics, he'd get thrown out of games. He'd pick up the base and throw it out. And I, I mean, that's the memorable stuff. That makes someone famous, hence a Hall of Fame. And yeah, it's absolutely. a brainer to me. So what do you do to fix this committee? Because we've well, already talked. To- <laughs> just get rid of it. I don't I don't know. I just don't know how you look at a guy like Lou Pinella and not think that he's a Hall of Famer. I just don't get that. It's so obvious from the eye test. It's obvious when you dive into the stats, when you look at the other people who were managers around him. I guarantee you if he had one more championship, he'd be in. Yeah, that, but, that was kind of where I was getting. But it doesn't matter. His accolades match Leland's almost eye for an eye. Yep. Yep. It, it's unfathomable to me. Worst, worst committee's decision this week, Florida State or Penelope? <laughs> I mean, not, not exactly apples to apples. But, <laughs> but, and uh, it just blows my mind. And I mean, the fact that he failed by one vote, it makes you nauseous, right? And like, here's the deal. I, I hate to put it in these morbid terms, but like, this guy is 80 years old. Yeah. When he's on the ballot next time, which I think it's three years, who's to say he'll be in the proper health for something like yeah. that to yeah. really enjoy that. And I Absolutely. hope that's not the case. I hope he is, but I, I'm, I'm really upset by that. And you look at all the talent that he helped develop over the years. I think the committee really screwed this one up and got yeah. it wrong. I got I you. really do. All right, let's move on. Here's a colorful one. Mm. This is a good one. So, a viral video shared by X user Legends underscore NBA claimed that LeBron James and Rockets head coach Ime Odoka were going back and forth about Odoka calling James's Lakers, quote, bitches, which the four-time <laughs> NBA champ didn't take lightly. James and Odoka were seen chirping at each other before referee JT Orr assessed both with technical fouls while Los Angeles led 93-77 with 8.35 remaining in the fourth quarter Saturday night. Adoka was also ejected from the game as that was his second technical foul. Adoka, a controversial figure in this league right now. So, Jordan, I ask, who's in the wrong here? Adoka for going after a star or the star for going after the coach? Um, That's a good question because my inclination is I don't know if anybody's in the wrong. I kind of like the fact that they're going after each other. I like the fact that the NBA is kind of get some rivalry back a little bit with some trash talk and everything. And I think that the, the officiating needs to let that go more. Um, Giannis has been ejected from a game this year for dunking on someone's head and staring at him. Nothing else happened. He just dunked on someone's head and then he stared at him and that's it. And let that go. Um, hashtag make the NBA fun again. I just like, give me some personalities back. Um, in terms of this particular interaction, um, LeBron James is a four-time champion and one of the greatest players of all time. And you're going to get into a f- screaming match with the Rockets head coach over him calling your team bitches? Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Just 
Let it go. Well, it perpetuates the notion that a lot of people have held with LeBron is that people think LeBron is soft. Oh. I mean, what do you think about that? <laughs> I, I said that, oh, sarcastically, because, like, uh, that's been the thing forever is LeBron couldn't play in the 90s despite the fact that he's six foot nine and built, you know, the way he is built. Um, the people don't believe that he could play in the 90s because people don't believe that he is mentally, physically, you know, like this this big, huge, tough guy. They, they think that he's not capable of doing so. Um, I think the best way that I can describe LeBron James for me personally, um, the man's never had a scandal. The man's been in the public eye since 18 years old. He's never had a scandal. He's never had a question come up about his character off the court. He's never had anybody come after him monetarily, anything like that. He is literally everything that you would want a star franchise player to be. He has come out about social issues when it's been time to come out about social issues. That was a big thing that Michael Jordan did not do, which is kind of, I think, why he separated himself that way. Different story for a different day. Um, I, I just think he has the tendency to get wrapped up in these petty little things like this. This is just petty. I mean, it goes back to like the clip of him reading a book in the locker room and the book's upside down. Like, what are we doing? Like, just... Just be yeah. a little better. Well, Just I think a little the better. fact that it's Ime Adoka too, given I think that adds into it, sure. Is part of what plays into it. And you know, Ime Adoka is not exactly someone who's got a ton of leverage in the NBA right now. He's, no. he's very lucky to be coaching as is. Yes. So yeah. you add that into the equation. And I think the general court of public opinion is going to sway with LeBron James when it comes to something like that. Plus, like, man, you're a coach. You got to be better than that. I understand it's trash talk. Like, let the players trash talk each other. Yeah, I mean that's like that. That's like straight out of the Rex Ryan school, which is ultimately like why Rex Ryan was, you know, a flame that burned out very quickly. Is he was a big trash talker on the sideline, big bravado, and eventually that rubs players the wrong way. And it rubs players the wrong way when you're losing. And everything's actually going okay for the Rockets right now. They've had a really nice start to the season. Uh, I wonder if that move plays as well if the Rockets are three and fifteen. Uh, it probably doesn't. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on as far as Houston goes. Um, sticking with the NBA and moving into the home stretch of the in-season tournament where the NBA, I believe that starts tonight with the playoff games for the in-season tournament. Um, the NBA, man, they are just there. They're trying hard to get this to catch on. We saw the point differential sakes leading to teams up by 30 plus in the game, trying to toss up three pointers just to get into the playoff game. Uh, it kind of had that soccer feel to it. Um, John, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but is this a farce or is this idea actually good for the game? <sighs> Look, anytime something new is introduced, it's going to take some time to get sure. used to. We saw it with the pitch clock and, the runner on second base, one mm -hmm. of those has worked out well. The other, you could argue, hasn't. <laughs> it's going to take time for people to get used to stuff. And I'm open to new ideas for sure. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like this is a disaster waiting to happen at some point. Okay. I'm watching that Knicks-Hornets game last week. The Knicks. Their only way... The, the, the Knicks have been pretty good this year. Yes, they have. The only way they can get into this next round of this tournament 
is if they surpass a certain point differential. Mm -hmm. They need it in their favor. Mm -hmm. So they're up 30 on the Hornets. And you've just got Emmanuel quickly tossing up threes like there's no tomorrow. The fans have no idea what's going on. Literally, if he crossed half court, he hucked it. Right. The fans have no idea what's going on. A couple of them do. A couple of them realize what the bit here. Yep. Like Jalen Brunson's still out there on the court. Uh Uh-huh. Julius mm-hmm. Randle's still out there on the court. Mm-hmm. You're up 30. Think about how important those minutes would be for some developmental players. Think about how important it would be for keeping your superstars off in the event that they get hurt. And that's what worries me about this, is that yeah. some superstar athlete is going to get hurt in garbage time in these games at some point. And that will totally change the dynamic. Absolutely. Of Absolutely. Fair concern. No doubt about it. Um, what's cool what the aspect about the tournament that's cool in terms of the NBA circle is I was watching that Knicks Hornets game same as you and you kept on hearing about guys you know for the Knicks that really wanted to win the tournament for the last guy on the bench and the last coach on the bench and get them that money and that was a really cool cool. like camaraderie aspect to the tournament so from that perspective I kind of like it Um, and from the perspective of players actually playing in games in November, December. I like it as well. Joel Embiid sat out the other night for an illness against Boston, against Boston. And I believe Maxi sat out as well. I think they also beat Boston earlier in the year. So you can't be showing your hand too much against the number one team. So clearly we got to be out for an illness. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But the point is of the joke is this is what happens in the NBA. Here's the only problem with saying that the end season tournament is going to fix that. Um, we just kind of established that you need to play 65 games to get into that all NBA conversation. So we're going about it in the awards way, which is going about it in the monetary way. So the end season tournament may not matter from that perspective. And if the end season tournament does not matter from that perspective, why does it matter at all? Because sure, I can give my you know last guy on the bench $100,000 or I can let him play in 10 garbage time games a year, actually show something and then somebody gets hurt and then I that guy gets to step in and maybe that guy becomes Jeremy Lin, right? Why not? Look at what's going on with the Orlando Magic right now where guys have stepped up and Absolutely. laid themselves into meaningful minutes. What a fun team that is. It's a very fun team to watch. I... Don't think I'm ever going to get fully on board with this tournament. It's very confusing to follow. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I am uh, hoping that I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I want to see Vegas first. I want to see the Final Four in Vegas first, and I want to see the atmosphere for that, and I want to see how sure. the players react to that. Sure. And maybe more importantly, I want to see how this does in year two. Year one, the players have loved it. Let me see how they like it in year two after it's already been a thing. That's kind fair. Of, kind of like the idea of the second season for a show. Let me see how it is in year two. That's fair. All right, Jordan, you've been waiting all episode for it. It's time for the beast of the week. Yeah. Who did or said the most beastly thing in sports this week? Let me give a shout out. And you thought you were going to go the whole episode without hearing about them. But let me give a shout out to the Iowa Hawkeyes. Why? Because, Why are you doing this? Because, John. Because. This is my favorite team that has ever existed in college football. They have no offense. They, I think they had more punting yards than actual yards on offense. Caitlin Clark has scored more points 
in Iowa this season than the Iowa football team has scored on the football field this season. Caitlin Clark, I think, has played eight games. This is just the epitome of smash mouth, ground and pound, play defense, throwback style football, and they just do not care. And they found a way to win the Big Ten West, walk into a bowl game, and if the Michigan punt return doesn't happen, they would have walked into halftime down 3 nothing to the number one team in the country. John, we are never going to see a team who's over under for a half is two and a half points and the under hits running away, running away. It's amazing. It was an amazing season. I will, I cannot wait for the ball game. I will be tuned in from start to finish. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) I, I, John, come on! I really thought that I was going to get. I really thought that I was going to get like. You thought you were, but you weren't. You didn't know what was coming. I, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just figured that I'd be able to like actually have an opportunity to get away with not talking about this but you know uh, what you know what you're wrong shout out mia mia knows okay this was just well the great my beast of the week is gonna be the pop tarts bowl (laughs) because because the pop tarts bowl which will be between nc state and kansas state for the first time ever we'll see an edible mascot and (laughs) most of the players have been asked about this should you win the pop tart bowl Will you eat the mascot? And the resounding response seems to be yes. We don't know what flavor the Pop-Tart is going to be. Would you eat the mascot? I mean, I guess so. Okay. I guess so. We don't know what flavor the Pop-Tart is going to be. We don't know if it will be toasted or if it will be just right out of the box. Are you a toasted Pop-Tart guy? No. I mean, it's straight out of the box. It's a pastry. For sure. Not doing the toasting. We don't know what flavor it's going to be. We don't know how big. Will it be big enough for everyone to take a bite out of it? If it's a normal Pop-Tart, it's not going to be big enough. So to the marketing geniuses that came up with this concept of the edible mascot, you are my beast of the week. Congratulations, because you've got me wasting my final few minutes of this broadcast talking about this. Jordan, where can people find you? At JordanCats11 on Twitter. At JordanCats11 on Twitter. Check out all his stuff and his mock draft material coming your way this spring. This has been Out of Bounds. We will see you next week. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now 